I mean, first and foremost, knowing your stuff is pretty important and seeking you know, education, seeking answers, as I've talked about before. But for me, it's you know, leading this stuff still, like putting cones out, those sorts of things. That's stuff I pride myself on as a, a leader still is doing that sort of stuff. I'm not, I'm someone who still takes warm-ups. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Podcast for AFL staff and athletes uh, sponsored by Prepare Like a Pro. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today I'm lucky enough to have our guest Peter Burge. Our key topic for today's chat will be road to high performance management. So for all the SNCs out there listening in, make sure to get your, your notepads out. And if you're tuning in live, feel free to send through some questions as I'm sure we can find some time a bit later on the chat. But welcome, Bergie. Looking forward to our chat, mate. Yeah, it should be fun. Thanks for having me on. But for those that aren't aware of your background, do you mind providing yeah, a bit of a background on how you, I guess, started in the industry and the different clubs you've, you've worked at over the years? Yeah, um... I guess I'd probably look at my career as, as two careers in a sense. Um, I'm originally a track and field athlete uh, a long time ago now. Uh, retired 2003. I was a long jumper. Uh, represented Australia at the Olympics in 2000. Finished six Commonwealth Games, 1998, which I was fortunate to win a gold medal. Um, I started long jumping seriously in 1997, a year before the Commonwealth Games. I was a, a triple jumper prior to that as a junior lots of injuries um, and was going nowhere pretty much for four, five years. Uh, I finished fifth as a junior on the World Junior Championships in 1992 and then just uh, yeah, didn't really go anywhere and had to make a decision and changed events. And I guess a lot of the learnings through my athletics career, um, I've been able to learn a lot about the elite athlete side of things through that and, and bring and share with people and athletes and footballers uh, in my S&C and high performance career, which started uh, at Hawthorne uh, in 2005. Uh, actually, I'll go back a year. I, I worked for Australian Rugby in 2004 for 12 months in the high performance department there as a development strength and conditioning coach. Um, I called. I was I was retired about six weeks and called by uh, John Pryor, who uh, works in the industry and um, knew my background, and said, "Hey, we've got these." roles going at a development or would you be interested in strength and conditioning and furthering career there and the answer was yes full-time job straight away and um come to that end of 2004 uh moved down to melbourne to, to hawthorne to work um under andrew russell who was high performance manager at that time who i'd met previously in adelaide when he, he was at port adelaide um i'd spent some time training in adelaide and had the connection there and um so hawthorne for seven years strength and conditioning uh st kilda uh, high performance role came up in 2012 and was fortunate to get get that role uh, first high performance role um, in the industry uh, that was a, a short stay of 11 months um, some reasons around that um, the role at Richmond was coming up at that time and um, you know I made the decision to take that role I was offered the role and um, left St Kilda and went to Richmond to work under Damien Hardwick who I'd Worked with in my time um, at Hawthorne when he was an assistant coach, and I spent ten years there. and And uh, in mid two thousand and twenty two, made the decision. Um, I was leaving Richmond, and um, opportunity back at Hawthorne came up to start again. And um, that's where I am now. Hi there, my name is Rama, and I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I don't think I've ever delved into a piece of prepare like a pro content without feeling absolutely inspired to not only be a better coach, but a better athlete and a better person. But Prepare Like a Pro, I have instantaneous access to a world of in-depth knowledge and expertise from not only Jack McLean himself, but a range of other strength and conditioning coaches, doctors, physios, dietitians, and a whole lot more. There really is nothing like this. And that is why I love being a part of the Prepare Like a Pro Academy community. Fantastic. That's an interesting um, block of, of you know, three different clubs in Hawthorne, you know, during their success in those that sort of seven years as S&C, 
um, where you're in a range of different roles, like you mentioned development with the rugby space, was it working with the young players to start and then perhaps rehab or with the gym, like take us through the different experiences at Hawks and then obviously you're in lead roles after that. But Yeah, the the ARU role in 2000 and end of 2003 into 2004 was strength and conditioning and working with the most talented 15 or 18 year olds in New South Wales, so at schools and working with the schools. But I also had a joint role with the Waratahs working with some of their um, athletes as well and their SNC team. So it was a dual role. So got that experience um, with the, the Super 12 or Super 14, I think it was back then at the Waratahs as well and met some great people, worked with some great SNCs um, at that point in time. Um, but always in the background had the interest in AFL just from my short time in Adelaide where I was training as an athlete, um, had a little bit to do with Port Adelaide Football Club back 2001 2002 and met Andrew Russell there and um yeah towards the end of 2004 he he decided to move to Melbourne to come to Hawthorne and um there was a SNC role going with the whole restructure there and so I accepted that move to Melbourne after in Sydney and yeah strength and conditioning was where I started um but with my I guess my track and field background I had that speed power background as well from my own uh experiences my own journey um, so I felt there were some skills there that I could offer in the, in that area. and But at the same time, there are other things I need to learn uh, about the game and um, conditioning for football, you know, particularly AFL football. That's been ongoing ever since. Yeah, and, and that decision for anyone listening in that's um, got a tough decision to make, I guess, in their career where you've yeah you've been in a club for 11 months, it's a, it's a short time, especially in a leadership position like that. How hard was it to uh, make that call? Um, and who did, who were some sort of people that helped you, I guess, through that process um, when you're making a tough call to make get yeah, to go with the Tigers? Yeah, to, oh, the the 2012 one out of St Kilda. Yeah, it, oh, there are a number of things that went down there uh, in the footy department. They'd been through a, a significant change um, post Ross Lyon first time around. Uh, Dave Misson, they'd moved on. A new coach came in, new footy manager. Uh, I was new in the role, working with a, a, a quite a mature group of players, and and one that were very experienced and knew knew what um, they needed to do, but were very good in terms of you tell us what we need to do, and um, we'll do it. You know, they were fantastic to work with. Unfortunately, there were just some connections in the football department that just probably didn't gel and work as well as I would have liked, and um, yeah, I had to make a decision whether that was for me or or not. Um, and at the same time, Richmond and Damien Dimmer had. Um, been in touch and it, it, yeah it was an interesting time for me personally and and a real learning curve first time in a high performance role um about yeah. being in that role but it made sense to go and work uh with dimmer and go to richmond and um you know it turned out to be a really good decision yeah that was that was going to be the flow on it uh looking back now clearly from afar anyway seemed with the success of what the tigers have gone through during that period was the right call um so I guess trusting your gut there is this something that's important for listeners to do during those challenging times. Um, yeah, talk us through the success. Like obviously you've seen it at Richmond. Did you when did you sort of know that you're onto something special with Dimmer and the Tigers? Um, was it was it something that you could sort of get a sense on, um, or was it something that sort of evolved over time? I think they were on a a, tra- a trajectory already. Um, you know, Dimmer started in two ten. Matt Hornsby was the high performance manager there for. For a number of years and, and decided to finish up at the end of 212 they were already starting to show some improvement um you know 213 there was a lot of change in the program i started we made some changes i uh, inherited new staff and working with a coaching group but they're already on that trajectory and we made the finals in uh, 2013 they won 15 games so we're, we were definitely improving and on that upward trajectory um but for the next three years we made the finals and lost the first elimination final three years in a row so we were on the up but breaking to that next level was was very challenging and 2016 is well documented what happened there was a, a terrible year um for the club um well below expectations and there are a number of things going on um in the background and a lot of media um and then at the end of 2016 there was a review and there were a lot of changes uh there were changes in in the coaching ranks there were changes in the conditioning uh there were some new players that came in um so the whole philosophy changed. I, I took a punt with some things and changed our schedule. Um, time to try something different and um, try and get a different response. I challenged myself and my own philosophies. I had to. Um, so worked really hard with that. Had some great staff to work with as well. 
um, who supported and and helped implement that program. And yeah, it was pretty significant change into 2017. I remember it was a preseason game. We played Adelaide Crows at, at Marble and I just remember in the first half, our forward pressure and what was happening, it just looked completely different to what I'd seen before. And I remember thinking, no, we've improved. We're, we're going somewhere here. There's something special going on here right now. And um, yeah, the rest is history, obviously. I won a lot, of, a lot of games. We had some challenges that year. We won the first five in a row and then lost four in a row. And um, some of those games were in the last minute. And um, you know, there was a bit of that sense of, oh, here we go again. But you know, the group were just amazing and, and the coaching staff and, and just the culture that was developing around that time and the, the premiership in 2017 was it was something I'll never forget. It was so special and great to be a part of. During that reflection period that you, you mentioned there, like you had already a well-experienced uh, coach uh, and manager by that period. Was that the most of our time that you've sort of gone back to the drawing board, do you think, over to that point of your career where you're really trying to challenge yourself and challenge your philosophy, challenge your team and, and um, yeah, try and take the club to where it wanted to go? Um, or is that something that it's almost a process and that happens quite frequently, whether it be every three, five years where you go through a big audit? Yeah, look, more so that year than most other years. But for people who know me, um, I'm very self-critical. And it, this comes from my athletics days. You know, I, as an athlete, I worked, I didn't think I was that talented, um, but I felt like I worked harder than everyone else and tried to do things better. So I'm constantly reviewing myself, constantly trying to find ways to do things better as an athlete. Um, and I carry that same attitude into the way I operate and work. Um, so I'm honest. I'll, if things aren't going well, I'll look at myself first and foremost before anything else. And I looked at some things at the end of that year and, and certainly um, looked at the program, looked at the way we're doing things, looked at how much work we were doing, how much football we were doing, the balance of things, uh, how we were working in the gym, the types of uh, strength training we were doing or the way we did rehab, those sorts of things. Um, yeah, so... A lot of self-reflection and honesty, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna try this, and I'm gonna um, move in this direction. Put everything into this. The staff that I had working for me at that time were fantastic, and and were very good at playing their role in the whole process of the department, not just in their own you know silo and worrying about their own numbers. Really good staff who are committed to a cohesive team, and that's one of the reasons why that group and at that time were very successful. Our cohesion amongst all departments, medical, fitness, coaching, the seamless. Um, it's a big part of success. And that's, um, you know, it's not just my program. It's There's so many other things. And people ask you when you have success, oh, you know, what were you doing? Was it the mindfulness? Was it the, the psychologist? Was it the, it's it's not, never one thing. Mm. You know, it was a whole host of things that worked well. And we, we did have some very good players. Um, we just had to unlock some things for them. And whether that was game plan or the way we coached or, or our conditioning program. And um, we had a base though, you know, the previous four years wasn't, um, it's easy to look at what you did in the previous 12 months, but sometimes those previous four years and the amount of conditioning that was done has an influence, it's a lag effect that you get mm. paid later. Now we did a lot more running between 2013 and 2016, more running than we did between 2017 and 2020. But on the outside, it's like, oh, this this side, you know, is a good running side or they're fast or their repeat speed. But the work was done years before. We actually did less running in that period and more football-specific training. So sometimes it's not always as it appears at the time. Um, so certainly don't underestimate the work that was done prior, but we just needed to tweak some things and, and change our focuses to get a better result. Explaining like that, it goes back to like what you said, the importance of cohesiveness and everyone working towards the same goal and, and I guess the importance of... Um stability too like if you don't if, you, if each year is different um then perhaps you don't get that build on effect where if you've had that stability with key stakeholders you're you're moving it's cohesive and it's moving in the right direction you get to pay dividends of that work that you've done previously and keep chipping away at it um going back to your career for a second like strong influences you've met some big names there john Pryor, uh, obviously andrew russell who were some um big influences even going back to your track and field days that have shaped your philosophy and yeah, the way that you like to do things. Yeah, there's been a few. Um, there's been a few. I mean, I've worked with a lot of different people, met a lot of different people over the journey through sport and in my current career. But uh, my, my biggest influence was my coach, um, Keith Connor, who was my coach from 1994 to 2003. Um, now, Keith 
Keith was a British athlete in his day in 1980, 84 Olympics. He was a triple jumper. He won a bronze medal in the Olympics. He coached in America at university. Um, he was a hard man as a coach, um, but he taught me a lot. Uh, taught me a lot about training, but taught me a lot about life. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of the shaping of myself was done from him and the time I spent with him. Um, and to this day, there's still things that I've learned from him that I still implement. Um, not specific technical things, just just general things around um, teaching people about responsibility and motivation and being self-starters, those sorts of things. Uh, Andrew Russell, who I spent a lot of time with at Bawthorne the first time I was there for seven years, was a, was a big influence as well, learning from him. He was very experienced. Um, probably the one thing I learned after I left Hawthorne the first time was uh, shaping my own way of doing things. You know, you work under someone, and I've seen this with coaches, you work under someone for a period of time, um, but you've got to develop your own style. Um, you can't be someone else and developing your own style and your own way of doing things. But certainly a lot of um, what I learned under Andrew Russell was was very um, beneficial for my future. Uh, Damien Hardwick, working with him, um, had seen his evolution as a, as a coach um, and the way he could motivate players. Some of the, the transformation from Dimmer was so significant, but it was just awesome um, to see things done differently, tr- traditionally what they'd been done, I guess. Um, but seeing the influence on players and how he presented to players and how he motivated them was was just fascinating. Um, I've done some work, you know, I've had some executive coaching over time. I worked with a guy named Hayden Frick in 2015, 2016. Uh, you know, I went, out, I went out the square a little bit rather than the big overseas uh, trip, you know, to learn something technical. I actually invested in myself and how I operate. Um, and to be honest, try to understand myself a bit more about how I respond to things and why I am who I am. So that was probably one of the biggest turning points for me in my career was was during that time and and how to deal with players and people. You know, and I'm pretty honest. You know, we've all got our shortcomings and imperfections and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I'm always trying to get better. So that's what I was trying to do at the time. More recently, Shane McCurry, who runs the the leadership program at Richmond still to this day, he, he was a massive influence on that group and, and that footy club, but me personally as well, I still talk to him to this day. He's one of the best people I've ever met in footy and I've learned so much from him. Um, different character, does things a little differently, but um, unique and and well-suited to the modern way um, that we do things. And I guess my family and kids. Yeah, having kids changed me a fair bit um, in particular. Yeah, I think it probably changes most people, doesn't it, when, when you have kids? Um, yeah, probably... Didn't sweat the small stuff as much after having kids. Probably worried about things less, and um, just better balance in life, to be honest. And I remember when when I was an athlete, I always used to get told, "Oh, you need a girlfriend. You know, you need balance in your life." Because I was pretty obsessive trainer, and and I probably carried that into my you know my work career as well, and um, managed to balance that out a bit a little bit more in recent times. So they're probably my big influences. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing, mate. And- and looking back, um, you've mentioned we've talked about some highlights, obviously, both in your athletic career and, and with the Tigers, but um, what are some mo- sort of moments, uh, stories, if you like, that sort of spring front of mind that you're most proud of? Yeah, I, yeah, my two careers, my athletes career, um, my Commonwealth Games gold medal, you know, I was jumping against Jai Tarima as well, who was at that time, he ended up being Olympic silver medalist two years later. Um, just that rivalry and competitiveness at that time. Uh, the Olympics finishing six. I mean, at the time I finished six, I was pretty bitterly disappointed, to be honest. Um, you know, I jumped well, but not my best. And once every four years, you want to do your best right on the day, and it didn't quite happen. And, and it took me a while to get over it, and it probably impacted some of my decision making in the following year or two with some things that I did. Um, but I got over. You know, I look back at it now, and I'm I'm proud of all that. It was fantastic. I don't think I could have squeezed any more out of myself. As an athlete, I think I got the most, absolute most out of what I could do. As I said, I didn't think I was super talented. Um, I just felt like I worked harder than most. Yeah, and the AFL side of things, the, the premierships, four premierships been involved in with Hawthorne in 2008 and, and Richmond um, in more recent times. But it's just the journey, you know, the journey to get to those things that you appreciate, the journey of working really hard for that end goal and the journey of these young guys um, working to make finals or to be a top four team or or to win a premiership that that's what i appreciate the most is is that part of it not actually the 
the 10 minutes when it happens when you feel awesome and sorry just uh, lag for a second there you got me there yeah. yeah 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 very good and the on the flip side what about challenges we've talked about pressure reviews um uh, something that popped up there over your different the different clubs you've worked at uh, obviously being at the top in in head of performance um uh, in any role working elite sport obviously everyone's trying to get better everyone wants to win the premiership so there's always uh, pressure uh, that's around what, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced and i guess for the lin- listeners um how important is it to face challenges how can you work like how do you grow from those, yeah. those challenges yeah i mean there's challenges every day in what we do um you know just when you think things are going rosy and sweet and you've got every player available within a, a week or two it can change pretty quickly and, and and others in in this role will know that um so i never i never buy into any of that stuff you know, whether it's oh we've got no injuries you know going really well well it doesn't really matter because it can change and if you're 16th on the ladder where we are at the moment it, it really doesn't mean a lot you know we're trying to get better and um that's the main thing that i focus on is how to get these guys better every day so there's challenges every day and if there's something not working i'll go seeking answers or i'll look for it or find it do my best to find it um, the 2006 2016 was was as i mentioned before was that sort of year um we're under a lot of pressure um but we had to find answers and you know you got to look at yourself and look at what you're doing as well as those around you but looking within first and foremost as a leader is the most important thing and setting that example for the people that work for you so that's that's how i operate but um i go looking for answers i'll talk to people i still do to this day at my age and i probably will as long as i do the job um i certainly don't think i've got all the answers and i'm and i'm interested in what's out there there's always new things happening and i think evolving yourself is is really important so every day there's challenges but embrace it right um well, well, that's a good segue for, for the topic, Road to High Performance. I guess for listeners is, listening in, that might be um, you know, something that they want to strive towards doing. What are some important qualities, do you think, as a, uh, a strength conditioning coach who wants to work in not just AFL but elite sport? Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, knowing your stuff is pretty important and seeking you know, education, seeking answers, as I've talked about before. But for me, it's... You know, leading this stuff still, like putting cones out, those sorts of things. That's stuff I pride myself on as a, a leader still is doing that sort of stuff. I'm not, I'm someone who still takes warm-ups and, and I'll take the speed work and share that with another staff member, but I like to get my hands dirty still. I think that's a good way to lead. But balance, you know, the serious stuff versus the fun stuff's really, really important this day and age. Um, I'm not taking things too seriously, but getting the job done. Um, you know, it can be at work from five till seven at night do you want to be but at the end of the day you know quality over quantity for me is the most important thing so they're just you know some examples of the things that i pride myself on and try and teach others that um something you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier the importance of getting to know yourself and how you respond to certain situations i guess that uh, understanding that quality over quantity um is probably a constant challenge for anyone that does work because you're wanting to get the most out of yourself and it's a fine line i guess from uh yeah, putting in the work, uh, like you said, getting yourself hands dirty, but um, understanding that you know you need to be at your best the next day and the next day after that. You want to be consistent. Uh, what are some important cues to recognise? Do you think uh, as you've got more experience, where you're like, oh, I've, I've got to, yeah, that what I've done today, I've, I've maximised, and now I've need to get home and be with the kids, or you know, move <laughs> on to the next day. <laughs> I usually find out when it's too late because I'm that gone that I've realised what am I doing? I need to find a balance again here. Um, or my wife will remind me of it pretty quickly anyway. Um, yeah, just oh, look, usually sleep or lack of sleep um, is a big indicator and just those sorts of things, I guess. I, I, I know myself when I've gone too far or when I'm too obsessed with work or gone too far with it. Um, mm-hmm. But I've gotten better as I've gotten older and more expensive the kids as well, which helps. But yeah, usually, usually it's just general fatigue and, and lack of sleep. You're not sleeping well. And if you're not sleeping well, there's something not right. Um, recently, a couple of months back, I said to my wife, I'm waking up earlier and earlier. I never used to do this. I'm not sure what's going on. She goes, oh, you're just getting older. That's what happens, isn't it? I'm like, no, I'm not sure that's right. You know, there's obviously stuff ticking over in my brain um, and I'm not sleeping well. And as soon as Christmas came with the three-week break, I'm back to sleeping well again. So straight away, I realized, no, it's not <laughs> It's not my age. It's um, <laughs> There's things that are obviously ticking away in my brain and it's causing causing me to, to lose that balance you know that balance wave um which i need to get back on track and um so that might be then finding 
finding things and making sure I don't bring work home at night, which I've got a history of doing. And um, I know it used to annoy the crap out of my staff as well. And and Ricky, but then that's really important, actually. You know, I worked, I worked my years in Australian rugby. It was go back twenty years. Um, it was a new thing for me. But getting emails at night and um, working in the evening, it was just kind of like that's what people did. Um, yeah. You know, you hear stories about Eddie Jones and and how he operates and. He was working for Australian rugby around that time, so I think there were some others who were influenced by that, and that fed through to to some of us. Um, but what you realise over time is when you do that to other people, how that impacts them, because they then think, "Oh, I've got to, res- I better respond to this." He's my boss. So some of the learnings for me were you've really got to be thinking of others um, when these ideas pop into your mind at nine o'clock at night, not just just get on the computer and press send, because um, you don't know how that's impacting others. So. I've, I've come up with a better system where there's a timer you can actually send an email at 9 a.m. the next morning. So I'll just sort of put the idea there or the suggestion and click 9 a.m. and it gets to the next day and not not at a bad time of night where you're thinking of yourself and not others. So Because you want to imagine when you've got that, that many decisions you need to make, you need to, you need to act on them when they pop up um, from your point of view. But then uh, yeah, obviously you want to look after your team. It makes, makes a lot of sense uh, and their energy as well. Um, so... I mean, the it's, there's two ways to look at it. The otis can also be this such thing as aeroplane mode and switching off your phone. So if, if if it's triggering people on the other end, it's on them perhaps as well to to manage um, yeah whether their phone's receiving communication or not. Um, but I think yeah, you, you'll definitely appreciate when you've got a leader like that that's thinking of them and, and scheduling things at a at a, a different hour. Um, got, going back to uh, qualities that are important to. Uh, what about for someone that um, is sort of at that stage where they've had um, a few opportunities in um, a couple of different sports and they want to, oh, in one sport, sorry, and they want to change sports like you did with rugby to Australia? Um, yeah. How did you go about, um, obviously, you had Andrew Russell, that connection from your track and field days. Was that something that you uh, reached out to? Andrew Russell reached out to yourself. Um, is that Are those networks that you built up, are they sort of organic or were you thinking at, during your athletics that um, something that you'd be interested in working in its field sport? So um, you were seeking out networks early on, even though you're focusing on um, your own athletic pursuits at that time. Were you sort of thinking of the future um, with from a networking point of view? Is that something that you think is important, or um, is it more just something that should be organic? I think networking is really important, and um, yeah, I've worked with some others in recent times who. Who were very good at that and others who didn't quite want to do that and that's fine too um everyone can do it their own way um i i mean my connection with andrew russell was coincidental um i was moving to adelaide and i was with i was with nike at the time myself um they gave me some equipment and whatnot but and one of the the head guys at nike said oh you know i know andrew russell i'll connect you with him and we just connected over there and that sort of evolved from there a little friendship and um he just got me involved so it was, it was a bit of a coincidence to be honest. Um, I've watched AFL um, in my time living in Sydney and definitely had an interest in it. It, it wasn't like I was going to seek it out. Um, and to be honest, when I was still training as an athlete, I hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do post-career. But um, strength and conditioning sort of made sense um, in the end. I had moments of thinking I'd like to be a track and field coach, but track and field coaching is not a full-time job. Um, well, there are some full-time jobs in track and field, but not many. Um, so I I really hadn't thought about it a lot at that stage, but um, a little bit of coincidence and a little bit of just finding what I wanted to do um, and just a, a lucky phone call really from the RU um, to give me that opportunity to get involved in strength and conditioning. So a little bit of right place, right time, um, but sometimes that's how things work out. Um, but I guess I've met a lot of people over time, so that's networking and, and that's how it all sort of came together. Yeah. So team dynamics and, and um, like when you're at a new club, you're at Hawthorne or when you're at um, at, at Tigers and now you're at, at um, oh, so you're at Hawthorne now when you're at Tigers and previously when you're back at Hawthorne at the start of your career as well, like how important uh, sort of do you, I guess, had the impact that you're making at the start, your first impressions? Um, and then the second sort of question to that is what do you think the role is as a high performance manager in team success? One thing I learned, and I don't know if I'm answering the question right here, when you say first impressions, um, yeah, starting at a new, yeah, it's nerve-wracking. I was nervous again coming back to Hawthorne, um, even to a young group. Um, every club is different. That's the one thing I have learned. They all operate differently. Uh, players are different. 
what they value is different, um, what they expect from you is different. Um, yeah, transparent and honest to me is really important. Showing them who you are and what you're about, um, that's really important. What was the second question? Sorry. And for team dynamics, like as a high performance manager, what do you think the sort of key roles are to help with team success? Like what are your sort of killer, your key pillars, I guess, to make the greatest impact on the yeah on the club? Yeah, I think I've touched on it before about cohesive, cohesiveness in your department. You know, there's a lot of staff working across uh, fitness departments, medical departments. There's a lot of people, um, everyone knowing their role um, and playing their role, but at the same time, you know, bringing them all together and working together, sharing ideas, uh, listening. Listening to people is really important. Uh, listening to your staff, listening to everyone, getting everyone involved, having an opinion. One one thing that was really good at Richmond and the coaching staff there is, you know, as a as a fitness guy in amongst 10 coaches because the people in this role, high performance role, they, they probably spend more time with the coaching group than even their own fitness and medical team because um, there's a lot of training, planning, a lot of stuff that you're involved in and at times you can be one out with 10 other coaches so that that can be challenging at times um coaching group at richmond the the inclusiveness and cohesion and everyone could have an opinion um you know some weeks i was able to even pick my own team uh, on the magnet board which was a bit of a joke but um yeah that was fun but that you know that stuff's fun um and that stuff happens at the hawks as well and footy's changed a lot in 20 years, um, some of these things may may not have happened 20, 25 years ago. But yeah, making that making it fun as well is is so important, as I mentioned before. Um, but um, everyone needs to feel uh, empowered to to have an opinion and um, be comfortable in voicing what they think. And going to more the technical side, I guess, from a physical preparation point of view, um, like obviously getting it like you said I think that's a valid point it's all, and it's an interesting one as well that every club is different like sometimes we think that football clubs are football clubs but um I think that resonates like what are the you know what do the players sort of want and getting a listening to them and understanding um the the, the dynamics there and um but uh, from a general uh, point of view what do you think is sort of the key areas that you like to uh, condition your teams with yeah um I mean my background is speed and power so you know, I have a fair involvement in that side of things. Um, I think it's really important as a high performance manager, you know what your strength coaches are doing, strength and power coaches are doing, that you're involved in that and that you your philosophies are reasonably aligned. I mean, you, you're always going to be a little different in some areas, but that's good. You can have those conversations and, and talk about that. But empowering your strength and conditioning people, your rehab people is really important. I love being involved in those discussions to this day. Um, so I know exactly what's going on in those areas. And um, but I don't, you know, I don't hang around the gym and look over their shoulders. They they run the program, and I'll I'll pop in and just wander around and have a look and chat to a few players. But um, yeah, it's really important that you know what is going on in those programs. The conditioning side of it, which I probably spend more time on, the aerobic conditioning side of it, repeat speed, that sort of stuff, or how we use GPS in terms of our drill selection and how we run our drills. You know, that's a big part of what I do, um, and a lot of time goes into that. A lot of planning goes into that. And, um, and you make mistakes, you don't always get it right. And to this day, that still happens. Um, but I'm, as I said before, I'll always reflect and learn and review what I'm doing, even if I think it's done really well. Mechanics, mechanical side of the program, that's my background. But um, a fair bit of knowledge in that area and um, I spend a lot of time on that. You know, we're trying to prevent injuries. We're trying to prevent soft tissue injuries in particular. Uh, and some of that can be attributed to movement. Um, Sometimes it's just load and sometimes it's just the game. I spend a lot of time in that area. And, and at, at the moment, I've, I've worked with some really awesome staff out at the Hawks who who are well-versed in that area as well, in strength and conditioning and rehab and the medical team. And we all we all understand it and um, we value it. And we don't certainly, we're not of the view that you can't improve someone's movement um, through drilling or spending some time on it. Um, as I've always said, I know one thing, if you don't spend any time on it, it certainly won't change. We are in the mindset of trying to make those improvements in the, the tiny window that you might get in a warm-up or at some other time in the session. Um, so I pride myself and, and my staff on that. And um, yeah, broadly, that's, they're the areas that, that, I, that I focus on. And, and then there's the mental side of it, you know, building mental resilience in players. Um, and there's a number of ways that that can be done. Um, hard work, obviously, is 
you know, hard work's never going to change. We always have to work hard, but it's how we work that's, for me, that's really important. Um, you know, I've seen plenty of people train hard and sweat and get sessions done, but what's done is the most important thing for, for, for me and the quality of it. But um, yeah, there are sessions you just got to do that are just bloody hard and that may not have any science behind it. Um, and you're testing the mental resilience of, of players, athletes. Yeah, one of the, the best bits of advice I was ever given was from a guy, a guy named Phil King, who was um, Coach Debbie Flintoff King, for those who might remember in the late 80s, won Olympic gold medal. Phil King was the national coach in track and field between, I think it was the early 1990s through to about 1995, 96. <laughs> I got myself in a bit of trouble um, when I was a young fella at the AIS and he grabbed me the next day. I think a few of us might have gone out a bit too late or something like that. And um, you know, he hauled me in and, and said, you know, what are you doing and all that? And I said, oh, you know, just out, out with the other athletes. And the best bit of advice he gave me was just to take the hard option. Don't take the easy option. Always choose the hard option in, in, in life and in what you do. And I'll never forget it. Uh, I lived by it as an athlete after that. Um, and I try and use that mantra with, with players. Um, it might be a simple thing. You know, taking the stairs versus taking a lift, those sorts of choices you can make. And they're, they're just little games you can play with yourself um, to just build resilience so that when you are faced with adversity, you can you can deal with it. I read that one recently. Um, it's a good one, especially in high performance. It resonates, I think, with most. Um, back to your sort of fossils with the conditioning side of things with speed and power uh, and obviously that cohesiveness with the strength and conditioning coach rehab. Um, how have your... Uh, working in the, the three a couple of different AFL clubs now, has your sort of approach changed from a pre-season mode, like each pre-season over the years? How has that sort of changed in how you prepare for a pre-season? But also in-season, um, do, does your, your loading or philosophy, has the, how has that sort of changed? Yeah, it's a really good point. Because I reflected, when I left Richmond and moved to Hawthorne, um, I reflected on that a lot and and look back and I certainly have made some changes um, in the pre-season in particular. Um, yeah, when you're in that window where you're winning a lot and you're finishing later and later, um, it is harder to get to get as much work in um, for the next year and then particularly if you win a couple in a row, it, it, it gets more challenging to prepare and, and certainly it can catch up with you. Um, and over time, you know, you can do less and less, a little bit less work, a little bit less work. You, you're just trying to get to the start line half of the time. And that can that can be okay for your senior group, but for your younger guys who are developing, that that you know you can make some errors and um, and underload them. Um, so that's one thing that I made sure when I started at Hawthorne that I went back and did. And similar to the two thirteen to two sixteen period at Richmond was getting that work into the players. So that's I've gone back to the well a bit with my program or the the program that we've we're, we've um, implemented there. And and it's not it's not that I'm transferring a Richmond program to Hawthorne that's certainly one of the first things I said to the players is we're going to develop the best program for this group just because of where I've been does not mean I'm just going to copy and paste and do it here and I certainly haven't done that so there's a lot of things I'm doing differently now than what that I did there and um, and again through my own research and talking to people I trust yeah I certainly I'm constantly just trying to evolve and um, and improve but uh, yeah there's been some changes there definitely mate and and to your point in season, um, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, I always believed you can get stronger in season. I never, ever bought into this maintenance um, approach in season, possibly with some older players and more maintenance, but certainly with a young and developing group, I strongly have always believed you can get stronger in season in some area. Yeah, if you recover well and you eat well and your nutrition's good, if your nutrition's good, you know, you can, you can keep improving. That's probably one area that um, certainly in the last couple of years, has intrigued me is around nutrition. I mean, there's a lot of nutrition science out there. I mean, there's so much stuff out there at the moment, but there's some simple basic things that have never changed and um, doing those things. You do those things, you can keep getting stronger, is improving your strength and power, and you can play on the weekend and play well. And then for the footballs listening in, obviously they're going to be yeah, intrigued on that for the nutrition, but uh, what are some sort of common, um, uh, I guess, educational sort of part ways that you like to give on the first year players on getting a better read of their body and and understanding that they're the work capacity that it takes of going through your first preseason. what are your sort of key areas of focus i guess but for the younger players getting those habits in place yeah habits just education really around when to eat 
you know how much protein we're tight timing timing is everything um volume you know volumes of foods on on training days versus non-training days um hydration yeah timing of food in particular um you know we don't really talk about supplements with with younger players um you know we want to do it through through eating to start with education around nutrition i've got a fantastic dietitian out at the hawks had a fantastic dietitian at my time at richmond as well learned a lot from uh from them and um you know clubs clubs are investing in that area better now than than maybe we did once upon a time it's a really important part of the player's development you know i don't know how many times over the years i'd heard at an end of season review this player needs to get stronger this player needs to you know put on weight um, not that i subscribe to putting on weight um, if you get stronger you're probably going to accumulate a little bit of muscle mass so that's what you want you want to be stronger and more powerful in in my view but then there's this whole other side of nutrition if you're not supporting it with the right nutrition and the, the timing the right amount of protein um you're not eating breakfast you know to start your day to give you the energy or you're not eating enough in the afternoon when you're your second session of the day it doesn't work as well it's as simple as that so it, it's all part of the package so as much as we put an emphasis on someone's strength program and giving them the best program we need to understand that nutrition plays a huge role out of set and going back to the coaches um what are some important habits you've mentioned about reviewing yourself regularly and um yeah being critical and, and constantly striving to get better uh, which has been consistent all the way through um what are some some other tips that you would have for strength conditioning coaches looking to make themselves as, as best they possibly can uh, and make a real impact in elite sport um yeah the there's just so much information out there at the moment um, through research, podcasts, blogs. There's so much out there. You know, going out and educating yourself is very, very important, but it's also just important to just take it all in and sift through it and work out what you think is really relevant versus what isn't because um, you can't do everything. And, some, you know, sometimes the simplest keep it simple theory still stands up. Um, yeah, it's, it's trial and error and... You know, I've made plenty of errors and will continue to make errors, but it's learning from those and reviewing yourself, reviewing what, you, what you're doing, what works well, what maybe you didn't think worked, uh, how it worked with other parts of the program. Because the big thing in team sport is it's you've got strength and conditioning, but you've got a, a conditioning program as well. You've got a football program, you've got coaches. So you've got, to, you've got to have all these things working together. And sometimes you've got to, you know, there's a trade-off. You might not be able to do as much strength volume as you want to do, uh, in the time you're given uh, to do that, so you got to you got to think of ways. You got to work through what is absolutely necessary versus what's nice to do or what you you know is cool to do. Get bang for buck. It's really important. Same with sprint drilling and teaching players how to run. You might get five minutes in a warm up rotation. Track athletes train six days a week, seven days a week, and for hours learning this stuff and to perfect the art of their mechanics. Maybe twice a week. Um, so you've got to bang for buck and, and sometimes spending endless time doing sprint drills may not be the best thing to do. It might just be better actually getting guys through run-throughs and teaching them on the go and giving them just finding the right cue um, that will resonate with that player for them to feel what you want from them. Uh, using vision, video, really important. What they feel and what they see can be completely different. I've seen that time and time again. A player will go, oh, I thought I was, you know, it felt like I was running up here, but I was actually there. And... Oh yeah, it's good. It's good that you're feeling unnatural because you're probably closer to doing what we're trying to teach you. So if it doesn't feel comfortable, that might be a good thing. We know that when they go and play and the ball's in play, they're just going to run and we don't expect them to have beautiful, you know, we're not yelling, hey, get your knees up, this sort of thing while they're playing football. That's not happening. But when you've got a chance with them in rehab or in a warm-up where there's no footballs involved, why wouldn't you try and just try and make a little difference to, to someone's movement? And, you know, selling that is really important. You've got to sell them that message. You've got to sell them why. They want to know why. How is this going to help me? And that's a big challenge for all of us is to sell it to them and make them believe. But going back to what you said before, like keeping it simple, there is a, a huge amount of information out there. It's probably the, the constant challenge is having a, a good filter. Um, but what you sort of tied in there made a lot of sense to me in terms of, you know, rather than just coming out with all the drills, which you may have the opportunity to with a, like track and field where you can progress athletes with their drilling and stiffness drills and but if you've got a, a large group um and it's just one of yourself um what are some of your favorite ways whether it be wickets or constraint based ways you mentioned using the video tool um i guess effective constraints or effective um 
uh, cues as well that can really get a, a, a good effective change on um, running mechanics. Yeah, yeah. The most common thing you see with what they do, but in football, since I've been in football, is the old thing of players, when they run, they spend too much time on the ground and they have a recovery out the back and can't get any front side, any knee lift, you know, to attack the ground and go forwards. And what happens on the ground to send them forwards is the most important thing. So what position they're in will dictate how much force they can apply. Um, you know, my coach once, <laughs> he said, to, he gave me this cue. He said, um, okay, imagine you've got a plate of glass down your back, right? If you can picture that, a plate of glass runs down your back to the ground. Don't let your foot go through that glass. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I've got the feel that. I think what he's trying to tell me is as soon as my foot touches, pick it up so it doesn't get behind me. Now, in reality, it is going to, but if I have that thought process of as soon as I touch, pick up, I'm, I may be getting closer to the right shape that I'm looking for with my movement. So little cues like that. You know, some people pick that up straight away. Some some go, what the hell are you talking about? So you try other things. I think running over wickets, you mentioned it before. Um, and what I've seen as a simple drill, it just forces athletes to move better. And what I find, what I found really interesting doing, so I use them over 60 meters. I'll have a 20 meter zone of wickets in the middle. And, you know, they've got a, a lead-in zone where I want them to run and tack and then they've got to adjust their stride and, and hit those wickets. And they're set at specific measures based on their height. Is that when they run through those, I go over and have a look at the GPS and some of these guys have run 100% of their max speed or they've run faster. And they to the eye, I'm thinking, yeah, they look like they're running better than what they do without them. So there's a forced change that's happening. The big challenge is when you remove them, can they still run the same way? Or when that last wicket runs out and there's another 20 meters for them to to go can they hold that same position so that's the sort of stuff i'm trying to coach in a controlled environment um and you hope that over time that there's a one percent change and that they're getting a little bit closer to that technical model that will help them be more efficient and be more efficient in their longer running be more efficient subconsciously without them thinking about it and ultimately just better athletically over a game that lasts two and a half hours that requires a hell of a lot of running and running fast and hopefully you know, not breaking down. Yeah, of that. There's some gems there for some S&Cs. I think Wicket's going to be pretty popular this week uh, <laughs> in Hubble Footy Club. Um, what about for acceleration? Um, that can be quite a challenging one to improve. Obviously, with footballers, they're always, if you want to have your head up to be able to track a player or, or know where the ball is and that sort of thing. So the concept of really hinging forward and that thing can be quite foreign uh, for, for a field-based athlete. Well, what's some of your favorite ways to... I guess, sell the message of the importance of acceleration mechanics um, and how um, how much emphasis do you put on yeah, getting that positive shin angle and trunk angle like a, a track and field athlete or do you sort of keep them quite upright because it's football? What's your sort of stance on that? Yeah, you've got to be a little bit careful, don't you? Um, I mean, if they get stronger, lower body strength and power in the gym, they will probably improve their acceleration. You know, as a young player, that will naturally... But where the other gains can be made is, you've mentioned it before about stiffness, ankle stiffness, joint stiffness, coordinating those movements. And those simple things, for years we've done basic skipping with a rope in the gym as a warm-up. But how that's done is absolutely critical. So you can do it and you can be really slow on the ground and skip. Or you can, you know, you can skip and get that nice solid contact on the ground with minimal heel drop and practice it. You can practice it regularly at low level. It's then transforming that into sprint drills and sprint drills doing that the same way, minimizing heel drop, keeping ankle stiffness, coordinating, you know, ankle, knee, hip together. Um, what happens with athletes when you start focusing on those things, though, all of a sudden they don't use their arms because they're so fixated on their lower body and that's okay. Um, but getting to that point where they can do that and then use their arms and then coordinate the whole thing, those are wins themselves. You will accelerate and apply more force if you can um, improve in those areas and, and just understand what that feels like. It took me as an athlete a long time to understand how drilling carried across into my own sprinting. You know, um, between the ages of 18 and 24, I, I, I was reasonably fast, but it, it takes a while to understand how that should feel and what you're actually looking for as a young athlete. So I'm always putting myself in the player's position, if I'm coaching them and thinking, how am I coming across? Am I giving them too much information or am I keeping this simple? You know, let's just get one thing right at a time here. Um, you know, these guys, young guys got long careers ahead. You don't have to build Rome in, in a day. Is that the saying? Build Rome in a day? Something like that. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. But um, yeah, it's just yeah. time and simple cues. Just chip away. 
change of direction, agility um, in your warm-ups. Like you said, you like to still get your hands dirty and, and work with that with the strength and conditioning coach. Um, how do you, how, what are your typical agility sort of what's the clock? Is, are the coaches involved? Is there football stimulus with there? Is it more breakdown working on power cutting and sort of open steps? Sort of talk us through your philosophy for agility for footy. Yeah, you know, I have another start, staff member, Zane Leonard, who works at the Hawks SNC. He he takes that part of the program uh, and he's very good at it. Um, but we talk a lot about particularly turning, um, you know, if we're doing shuttles and the, the way to turn out of a shuttle and how to spread your body weight. Um, there's a lot of debate around change of direction, inside leg, outside leg, you know, um, positioning. But we definitely do close drills as a starting point. But as we move through the preseason, you know, start to involve footballs, um, start to involve other stimulus, react reactions, reactiveness, you know, to opposition players, um, mix it up a little bit, make it fun. It can't just be all the same stuff running around cones and poles. Um, you know, removing, co- removing cones, doing that work as well. Uh, Bill Knowles, I saw Bill Knowles present on this. Um, I was watching something that he presented on and talked about this. It was really interesting. Um, taking those things out of your agility sessions um, to not be so restrictive with certain players of different heights in particular. I think co- one thing coaches love is is having footballs involved and um, reactive agility in particular, you know, or shifting the eye line of the players, you know, doing stuff where their eyes are up as if the ball were in the air. Um, so they have to understand where they are in space, change of stimulus at a time. Love that. Well, mindful of the time, it's been nearly an hour, uh, Bougie, um, so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us your, your journey in elite sport and um, Hawthorne are in fantastic hands um, to have yourself clearly with their head of performance. So thank you for coming on and also give us some practical tips that both S&Cs as well as footballers listening in can help themselves uh, get better out of their craft. Um, uh, last three questions, what, what's your... Uh, pet peeve from an industry perspective or uh, anything that makes you angry um, whether it be S&C stuff or uh, footballers not putting weights away yeah, anything that fires you up uh, oh, just underutilised talent um, players who don't maximise their ability and talent it's frustrating more than anything I mean there's only so much you can do um, and, and you know seen it over the years That that that's hard to watch and you're only trying to make them the best they can be but some choose that that may not be for them and uh, they don't want to work hard. Um, yeah, the one thing that's peed me, uh, just the amount of cliches that are out there at the moment, overused cliches and I don't know, it seemed to have evolved since COVID. So well, yeah, I've got a little list on my phone actually. I just keep adding to it and it's a bit of a running joke with myself and some of my friends and um, I don't know, I'm a I'm a simple kind of guy. Yeah, you know? I, I use simple words and keep it pretty simple. So you won't ever hear me talk about emotional agility and all this sort of stuff. And um, emotional agility, emotional agility, or is it staying agile? Or yeah, we live in a different world now. But um, I just tell it how it is and keep it pretty simple. I, I just yeah, you don't just trying to sound intelligent. Just yeah, with me, I just doesn't wash for me. Just uh, yeah, just be yourself. Through it. Just be yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite way to spend a day off? Yeah. Um. Um. Family and kids. You know. Always. Um. Great to switch off. Um, I I find it hard to switch off, so that's one of my biggest challenges. I love what I do, but yeah, it's a constant challenge. I love Formula One racing. Um, when it's on, I will spend a lot of time uh, watching that or staying up sometimes while we're early in the morning. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued by uh, the technical side of that sport. And since Drive to Survive's come on, you know, five years ago, it's just I think it's just fascinating. Formula One, Netflix, all those sorts of things. Love a good movie. Something can help, just help zone out and um, give me a bit of peace. Yeah, that's important. And obviously the recording, uh, early February of 2024, what's on the horizon for the rest of the year, mate? What are you excited about? Oh, foot, yeah, footy-wise, just seeing improvement in, in our group, our team. Um, yeah, it's a it's a super young group, but it's an exciting group. Um, saw some signs last year that we're on the right track, and um, I'm really excited this year to see how much we've improved and um, you know, that, that all starts in a, in a couple of weeks from now that's um, ready for the season to start and that's that's probably it. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's certainly a lot of momentum and uh, yeah, fun team to, to watch and there's plenty of uh, young and exciting players uh, coming at the Hawks so um, yeah, we're looking forward to, to seeing how you guys go. 
Uh, for anyone that's got any follow-up questions, mate, is there a best place to get in contact or uh, should I be the, the middleman and, and email it through? Well, mate, I don't have Twitter or Facebook or any of that stuff. I've never done social media, so you won't get me on there. Uh, it's not my go, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you to pass on my email to, to anyone that's got any questions. I, I will always answer questions. Um, I'll, I'll talk to anyone uh, through that means and, yeah, happy to do that. Yep. Well, there you go. So if you're listening to the recording, driving, just feel free to reach out to me and um, yeah, pass on Virgie's email. But, yeah, thanks again, mate. Thanks for, for sharing with us uh, your experiences in uh, the top both from athletics point of view as well as as an SC coach. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for everyone that's tuned in live as well. Our next live chat, uh, lucky enough to have another head of performance, Nick Paulus at GWS Giants, uh, which will be at 4 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, the 21st of February. So look forward to seeing you guys then. Thanks, Virgie. No worries. Thanks, Jack. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um. And yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find 
it's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.